3: to this program with regularity, you know that I believe one of the primary foundations of the country, the thing that holds this thing together is the presence of Christian influence, without which I think our decline into self-destruction is much more rapid. That's not the only reason that I believe we need to see a genuine revival. It's not a word that I like, to be honest with you. Because so many times, revivals is associated with special church services. I'm not interested in special church services. I want to see a true restoration of the church. And by that I mean for the church to be genuinely passionate about God and about people. Through and through. And as a result of this, we'll have a transformative impact on society. It's possible I may actually save some of this for future broadcasts because the things that Tim Keller addresses and I'm going to be intentional about posting this on The Facebook pages for these radio stations because I think it's something as if you are a Christian believer, I urge you to read this and share this because this is right on the money. It's an article that appeared in the Atlantic. American Christianity is due for a revival. He talks about the fact that he joined the Presbyterian ministry in the mid-70s, serving in a town outside of Richmond, Virginia. New church buildings were going up constantly. In fact, when he arrived in Manhattan in the late 80s, he saw a startling sight on the corner of 6th and 20th, a beautiful Gothic revival brownstone built in 1844 that had once been the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Now, it was the limelight, an epicenter of the downtown club scene. Thousands of people, thousands, a night showing up for drugs and sex and the possibility of close encounters with the famous of the cultural avant-garde but the bigger picture here this is a vivid symbol of a culture that had rejected christianity tim goes on i started to notice repurposed church buildings all over the city they were now condominiums gyms art galleries coffee shops pubs and clubs the trend continued as my time in the city went on in 2014 the new York Archdiocese the Catholic Church denounced it was closing dozens of empty church buildings and hundreds of other Protestant congregations faced dwindling membership and were unable to maintain their church homes in moving to New York City I entered a different world than the one I'd known in Virginia here society was secularizing religion in general and Christianity in particular were in sharp decline by 1989, my family and I started Redeemer in each a new church in Manhattan. We faced cultural attitudes toward Christianity that ran from deep indifference to mockery to shouting out loud hostility. I can tell you by my experience, I'm really finding a lot of the latter, shouting out loud hostility. Meanwhile, in the middle of the country, churches continued to multiply and some grew to enormous sizes. What I've experienced in New York for decades is now spread across the country. As of 2021, the number of religious nuns, we've talked about that on this program, people who don't identify with any established religion in the U.S. has grown nearly 30% of the population, while professing Christians constituted their 63% down from 75 only a decade ago. The Pew Research Center recently projected the future of this trend. In three of its four scenarios, the percentage of Christians plunges to less than half the population by 2070. And in none, does the trend reverse and the church grow? Should we expect to see most church buildings in the country repurposed or torn down? Is it inevitable? We'll become an ex-Christian society. Or could the church experience a renewal? Why should anyone besides Christians like me care whether the church revives? Many Americans would say the fate of the church is inconsequential to them. Others want very much to see the church continue to shrink. And Tim Keller says both of these perspectives are mistaken. One of the things I appreciate, and I love the way Tim Keller does this, is he brings in secular thinkers who recognize the importance of spiritual influence. Many secular social theorists, including Emily Durkheim and Jonathan Haidt, to name two, show how religion makes contributions to society that cannot be readily supplied by other sources. Cultural unity. Durkheim argued in the 1890s requires a conscience, Collective, a set of shared moral norms that bind us together in a sustained way. These norms are understood to be grounded in something sacred and transcendent. You notice how I use that word a lot, transcendent? Not created by culture. Durkheim recognized the difficulties secular cultures have in cultivating moral beliefs that are strong and unquestionable enough to unite people. Where are we in society now? How do we... Determine morals, ethics, well, it's based on what I feel today. And that could change tomorrow. You can't build on that. Consider the evolution of America. In the classic 1985 book, Habits of the Heart, the sociologist Robert Bella and his two co-authors showed that the social history of the United States made it the most individualistic culture in the world. American culture elevates the interests of the individual over those of family, community, and nation. Yet for two centuries, Americans' religious devotion counterbalanced this individualism with denunciations of self-centeredness and calls to love your neighbor. How many times have I talked about that on this program? You take spiritual moorings away from individualism You heard Rush all the time talk about rugged individualism. You take spiritual dimensions out of that, you have a mess. The church demanded charity and compassion for the needy. It encouraged young people to confine sexual expression to marriage. It encouraged spouses to stick to their vows. Bella wrote that American individualism now largely freed from the counterbalance of religion is headed towards social fragmentation, economic inequality, family breakdown, and many other dysfunctions. Is this not what we're seeing, ladies and gentlemen? And this is my concern for so many secularists who think you can restore the country without spiritual foundations. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. At a local level, churches provide community and support to people in their congregations who lack strong family ties or other kinds of emotional and social support. They also serve neighbors who do not attend church, particularly in poor neighborhoods. We're going to talk more about this. American Christianity, due for a revival. We'll continue that as we continue our broadcast. Stay with us. so I'm sharing this really powerful piece by Tim Keller American Christianity is due for a revival. In fact, I've posted this. This is such important material. This is one of those defining articles that I really believe every Christian ought to read. I've posted this on the Facebook pages for 1063 WRD in Greenville and 10WBT here in Charlotte. So you can read it. Please read it and share it. And I've already decided, because of the meat in this, we're going to address this, probably continue on Tuesday, for Transformation Tuesday. Because this material is so, so important. I've been talking with you about how Christianity has an impact on society. There's some really good text here thus far, too. Some of you have received this well. Let's start with this one. When evangelicals, and by extension, Christianity lost the majority of an entire generation with their full-throated embrace of Donald Trump. I, I'm i serious, folks. This, I was profoundly disgusted to watch the so-called evangelical leaders basically pucker on the rear end of Donald Trump. And, and it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who it is. But when you're clamoring for attention and for acceptance and approval, especially from someone so corrupt, and I know that's going to tick some people off, we've got to keep a healthy distance from politics and politicians. And sometimes we don't do that. In our desire to, quote, win, we have sold our souls. This texture says just that, American Christianity has sold its soul to politicians and capitalism. The hypocrisy of the religiousness can never be erased, and only the naive and gullible accept it. Funny, the only time the country embraces God is when we experience another 9-11 type event. We flock to God for a while, then it's back to the same old. Yes, it is church falling apart today because there are too many hypocrites in the church. We're worried about the wrong things. We're worried about who's sleeping with whom and what Sally's wearing instead of focusing on the word of God. That's Chris out of Shelby. Ooh, that's brutal. Vince, I wholeheartedly agree with your description of what's needed in this country. A true revival. This responsibility falls on all of us as Christians which is the church. We need to demonstrate the love and humility Jesus showed during his his ministry. If we all lived in the manner Jesus did, loving all, it would be much harder for non-Christians to not see a better life. Just a thought. Thank you for often often bringing, and where's the rest of this message? Because it's so good. Oh, bringing Jesus into your daily messages. Please keep it up. Yes. Love him or hate him, Trump was the only president who brought Christians to the table. Oh, goodness. This is not about personalities. You've missed the point. The point of it is that these leaders were so desperate to be at that table. And what they sold out to is the problem temporary political affirmation that's what gets us into trouble ladies and gentlemen let's continue more than 20 years ago University of Pennsylvania study of Philadelphia congregations concluded congregations are vital to the social fabric of Philadelphia and take a major role in caring for the needs of people in the neighborhoods the study authors estimated the replacement cost of churches to communities and government would be about two hundred and fifty million dollars annually that's in two thousand one dollars in the philadelphia metro area alone While revival of the church would benefit society, that will never happen if the church thinks of itself as just another social service agency. Christians seek spiritual renewal for the church not because they see religion as having social utility, nor because they want to shore up their own institutions. First and foremost, Christianity helps society because its metaphysical claims are true. They are not true because Christianity helps society. When Christians lose sight of this, the church's power and durability are lost. This is so important. We cannot just be reduced to another wonderful social service agency. We are not just that. So, Tim Keller asks, so can Christianity grow again? Yes, it can. Even the Pew Report concedes events outside the study's model could lead to a revival of Christianity. The events mentioned include immigration patterns or religious innovations. Then we start getting into the nitty-gritty. Are you ready for this, folks? And I want you to listen, not just with your head, but with your heart. Tim Keller says, first, as I see it, growth can happen if the church learns how to speak compellingly to non-Christian people. Boy, we screw this up badly. For a millennium, Western institutions instilled in most citizens Christian beliefs about morality and sex, God and sin, and afterlife. If non-Christian people entered a church, what they heard was likely not strange or offensive to them. That's changed. But the church has not yet learned how to communicate to outsiders. As a result, most evangelical churches can reach only the shrinking and aging enclaves of socially conservative people. This is very important, folks, because I got news for you. Especially a lot of these younger people coming up, they are not socially conservative. And we are not any, any even in the universe of talking their language. But change is possible in our church in Manhattan. Over the years, we've learned to reach young secular progressives by adopting the way St. Paul told the good news to nonbelievers in his own day. As described in 1 Corinthians one twenty-two to 24, he affirmed their best aspirations and longings, yet challenged the inadequate ways in which they were seeking to realize these hopes and redirected them toward Jesus Christ see this is important what's the starting place affirming their best aspirations remember what I, I just recently had this conversation about the importance of us affirming people's humanity this is not where many of us start too many people we're off to the races to challenge people on their beliefs and their ideas and frankly in some cases just downright condemn people And then we wonder why they don't want to listen to us. I wouldn't want to listen to us either. I am going to go into a little more of this. And again, this has been posted on the Facebook pages for these radio stations. 1063 WRD, also Newstalk 1110 WBT. We'll touch on a little bit more of this and a couple of other items for Faith Focus Friday as we continue our Friday broadcast. Stay with us.
1: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage.
3: Here's an interesting text for you in response to what I've shared about the need for a revival in the church. As long as pastors continue to consider themselves as political and tell people how to vote for the pulpit, complete with slides and PowerPoint presentations, and demonize the other half the population as evil, who in their right mind would stick around for even one more sermon? Hmm. If they fall into just one of those demonized categories of people. We left the church the very next day when we witnessed just that. And it happens in more churches than you can imagine. I'm not surprised at all. Not in the least bit. Hmm. Let us see what else we have here. There was another one I was looking to share here. A lot of the churches today are not evangelical, therefore do not know how to speak to the outsider or the lost. seems most so-called men of God are teaching prosperity, feel good, don't offend anyone, messages. Yeah, that's another problem. Vince, the problem is the American church has associated itself MAGA republicans A lot of people, including myself, see them as racist, Hispanic-hating, white supremacists. Who wants to associate with those types of people? Can I just suggest to you, by the way, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I would also suggest what I read in your text is very reactionary and very um overly self-conscious i want to challenge you in the spirit of christ to go and talk to some of these people you i'm not telling you to stay where you are whatever it is but have a conversation humbly ask someone hey what about jesus because the truth of the matter is a lot of these people really are clueless you start asking that question, they'll look like a deer in headlights because for many people, it's never been about Jesus. And I'm talking professing professing Christians. And even if it has been about Jesus, it stopped being about him a long time ago. This happened to me in a conversation with a good friend of mine, a dear friend of mine who's in ministry. I hadn't talked to him in years. And the most of the passion I heard from him was about politics. I was a little concerned. And I get it. Because I'm just being honest. It was very obvious the early part of our conversation spiritually, things with the church are not really going too good. And there's a reason for that. The life of God is so lacking. And so we've had to turn to something else. Yes. You hear what I'm talking about? <laughs> we were talking about the change that's necessary. And the first thing is learning how to speak to non-christian people. The second, the church in the U.S. can grow again if it learns how to unite justice and righteousness. This is important. I've heard African-American pastors use this terminology to describe the historic ministry of the black church. By righteousness, they meant the church has maintained its traditional beliefs in the authority of the Bible, morality, and sexuality. It calls individuals to be born again through faith in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. By justice, they meant the church has an activist stance against all forms of oppression oppression. White Protestant churches in America tend to pick one or the other. Liberal mainline Protestantism stresses justice but has largely jettisoned ancient affirmations of the Christian creeds, like the preexistence and divinity of Jesus, the bodily resurrection, the authority of the Bible. Evangelicalism stresses righteousness and traditional values, but many congregations are indifferent or even hostile toward work against injustice. However, if the church at large could combine these two ideas the way the black church has, it can begin to rebuild both credibility and relevance, rebutting the charge. It's merely another political power broker, a church that unites justice and righteousness, does not fit with the left on abortion and sexual ethics or with the right on race and justice. Instead, it's a community that addresses the timeless longings of all people for meaning, hope, love, and salvation. Do you hear what I'm saying here? And I'm going to stop here because this this content is way too important. I see this all the time. The liberal churches, they're the ones who focus on so-called social justice. And many of them have jettisoned foundational messages of the gospel. They don't believe in the gospel. They're liberal. That's unhealthy. Then on the other hand, you have your so-called evangelical churches. They're very strong on the fundamentals of the faith. But they completely ignore the issue of justice. Now, I want to be very very clear. I do not believe in social justice. There's a difference. Justice is justice. It doesn't need a modifier on it. Why do we have to let the left have this issue? Just like what happened in Memphis. Is it really difficult for you as a conservative to take a stand against police brutality? You ought to. This is why I say we need to be transcended. We should not be able to be put into a box in a corner somewhere and told this is where you are. You fit neatly. No, we should not fit in neatly into anybody's box. And nobody should feel comfortable that they have our full-throated endorsement. Can I repeat that again? Nobody should feel comfortable that we have, that they have our full-throated endorsement. Which means we're going to call people out when they're wrong. We're going to celebrate when they make good choices. This is very important. Because what comes across, and, and I, I'm, I'm just thinking about a friend of mine right now, for instance, who uh, spiritually, I, I, she's impeccable. But on these issues of so-called social justice, she's gone completely down the road of buying into the left's narrative, which is rooted in, frankly, profoundly anti-Christian ideas. She doesn't understand that. So I'm saying, part of what we have to do as Christians in our cross-pollination is to help each other stay away from the extremes. The left needs to, those of you who are more on the liberal side, need to help those of us who are conservative for, from, from, frankly, being heartless on issues of justice. And those of us on the so-called right, we need to challenge those people who claim to be on the left do you even believe in Jesus? Do you even believe in the foundations? And have you substituted a social gospel for the real one? We're going to talk more about this on a future show because the other things are, are equally hard-hitting. Stay with us.
4: Just do a quick search for Tecovas on social media and you'll see how adorably styled these boots can be. Visit tecovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west.
1: Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today.
0: Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com
3: On the Vince Coakley radio program. One final thing for Faith Focus Friday. This one's kind of fun. I love this. I think many of you have heard that this is a Super Bowl with two, two black quarterbacks. You may not have heard. We've actually got two openly Christian quarterbacks against one another in this showdown. Were you aware of that? Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts gives God all the credit for his athletic success, insisting he tries to keep his faith front and center. I've just matured and realized God is everything. He's worthy of praise. You have to put him at the center of everything you do. That's what I believe. All my spiritual wisdom, all of my wisdom as a whole comes from him in some way, shape, or form, whether... That's passed down for my father, my mother, grandmother. I just think of all the things we experience in life, good, bad, or indifferent. You have to keep him in the center. God only made me one way. That is to be me. He adds, being in the city, being the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, just having the opportunity to play the game I love most in the best city of football. I just go out there every day. I'm who I am. I keep God in the center, give him the praise, lean on him all the time. Everything unfolds the way it's supposed to. On Sunday, Hertz will come face-to-face with another openly Christian athlete, Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, who told reporters last Monday, my Christian faith plays a role in everything I do. I mean, I always ask God to lead me in the right direction. Let me be who I am for his name. He has a role in everything I do. Obviously, he'll be on a huge stage the Super Bowl he's given me, and I want to make sure I'm glorifying him while I do it. Following the Chiefs' 23-20 victory over the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championship game January 29th, the 27-year-old quarterback also pointed to God as a source of strength and grounding. First of all, I want to thank God. This is after the game, which involved playing with an ankle sprain. He healed my body this week to battle through that, giving me the strength to be out there. After winning his first regular season MVP in the 2018-19 season, Mahomes thanked God, saying that without him, none of this would even be here. Faith has always been big with me. Adding as long as I'm doing everything the right way the way he would want me to do it I can walk off the field with my head held high and be able to be the man that I am He's given me a lot of blessings in my life. I'm trying to maximize them and glorify him. I Think that's exciting no matter what the outcome of the game is I really like the spirit and heart of these two guys and I think many of you will be encouraged to hear that as well about who these folks are just genuinely good guys who have a heart for God how about we check out a look of the day in history before we get out of here Christopher how are you today doing well Vince happy Friday same to you 1763 is our first one after seven years the French and Indian Wars came to an end with the Paris treaty it's good to see an end of some war. Maybe we can see an end of another one here that's going on right now with us. 1962. These two countries swap spies after the Francis Gary Powers U-2 spy plane incident. Interesting, we're talking about spies and flying of some sort what are the two countries involved in this it was swamp? the United States and the Soviet Union and it? the Soviet Union is correct 1966 Vietnam War protester David Miller he was convicted of burning something a lot of people did in that era what did he burn a joint ah, 1966. I knew say, I knew you were gonna say something silly the hint I, was about Vietnam War. I think they burned the flag. Oh, actually, a bra was a draft, oh. draft card. Draft cards. Well, there are lots of things burning in the 60s. Yeah, you got that right. You the funny thing down. is the funny thing is what you said first. That was probably one of the most popular answers. It could have prevented yeah. the war. Yeah, if more people were well, I better leave that alone. I'm going to get all kinds of nasty calls. No. 1992, this boxer convicted of rape, sentenced to 10 years, four of those years suspended. Who was this boxer?
1: Well, it wasn't Joe Frazier.
3: It was no, it wasn't.
1: I, I, and it wasn't my, yeah, it wasn't one of the classy ones from way back as Mike Tyson.
3: Mike Tyson. He's had his problems. 1992, he's had a few issues here and there. 1996, this was not a human being. There's a big hint. Beat Gary Kasparov in their first chess match.
1: It was a uh, supercomputer. I don't know. The, yeah. I don't it was,
3: know its title. I you, don't know. You, which you don't need to. IBM's Deep Blue is the name. Okay. 1996 is when that happened. And I'm sure you never watched this show. I'm assuming. Final episode of Arrested Development aired on Fox TV. Um, the show may have ended, but I'll tell you what a lot of the people I meet out there,
0: there's a whole.